0: comparison to God, we're earthworms. We do not know the end from the beginning. We are not as smart as God is. And God is appealing to us. And he's saying, please, please my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are far above your ways. Follow my ways, is what God is saying. Please open your Bible to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 55, and we will mainly be parked right here in Isaiah 55 as we uh, look into the scriptures today. Well, a well-known expression in English, where do we go from here? That's um, a familiar expression that probably most all of us have said at some time. Have you ever said that? Where do we go from here? Maybe you were driving and lost your way, and you said, uh, all right, where do we go from here? You weren't sure. And that's when we need a GPS. Now, the letters GPS stand for Global Positioning System. And as you know, it's a little device that will show us our position on earth, anywhere in earth now. They rely upon satellites. A GPS is like a map and it'll show you where you are and where, you're, where it is you're wanting to get to. And it helps you navigate through the traffic to get to your destination. And we're all familiar with these things. GPS, we even have them on our smartphones, not just in the car, but in your hand. You can be holding a GPS and walking down the streets of a city and find your way to wherever it is that you're wanting to go to. And these modern GPS systems, they'll now give you an estimated time of arrival. They'll tell you you'll be there in four minutes or in 42 minutes or something. And they'll even talk to you, right? Your GPS can talk to you and tell you to make a left-hand turn here in 600 meters. You know, make a right-hand turn and things like that. That's kind of nice. You can choose what kind of voice you want to listen to, what kind of accented voice you want to listen to as well. There's a lot of variety and choices. Typically, we don't go anywhere these days without a GPS. It's just part of our life. And so we have a GPS for driving around town. But when it comes to living our lives in a crazy world, which way do we go? Where do we go from here? And that's the title of the message here. Where do we go from here? We make so many mistakes in life, don't we? You can't live life for very long without making mistakes. It's sort of part of human fabric. We live We make mistakes. But unlike driving a car, you can't go back to the fork in the road and now this time turn right instead of turn left. Sometimes when you make those decisions, they can be very costly. And they can end up costing you sorrow, time, money, all kinds of trouble. Sometimes they have consequences that you'll have to put up with for a few days, a a few years. If it's a bad enough decision, you might have to put up with consequences for the rest of your life. There's an illustration I heard about uh, a man who went and got drunk and got in his car and drove and drove into a tree. And he woke up in the hospital and he realized that he was blind in his left eye, he couldn't see. They had to remove his eyeball. If he prayed to God for forgiveness, would God forgive him? The answer is yes. But would God give him back his eyeball? The answer is no. He'd have to live with that for the rest of his life. You see, there are sometimes consequences to making bad decisions. And so, we come to a fork in the road, so to speak, and we choose to go left, Um instead of right, and we wish we could go back (laughs) and make those choices again. I had a choice happen to me this week. In fact, I was going someplace, and it's someplace I knew. I'd been to this place several times, and it was over in Langley. And I know that there are two routes, two ways I can go to this place, And so I figured, I don't need a GPS, what do I need a GPS for? I know both routes, I've taken both routes, I know that both routes are good, I'll take this one here. And I chose the one in, I guess you could call it to the left, and so I got stuck in construction traffic. I didn't realize what was on the road up ahead of me, and I had to wait, and wait, and wait. And I was in a little bit of a hurry. And then to rub salt into my wound, I was waiting behind the slowest, pokiest driver in all of Langley. And I won't tell you this person's name. (laughs) I don't even know it myself. But uh, doesn't it seem that way when you're in a little bit of a hurry? You end up behind the slowest, slow poke in the world. Oh, please, please. Just kill me now, please. Come on, let's... Make the left turn. So anyhow, I wished, I was sitting there and I wished I had taken the other route. You know, my GPS, if I had taken time to look at it, would have told me there was construction traffic and I was better off going this other route. But I figured, hey, I'm smarter than the GPS. I don't need a GPS. Well, anyhow... In life, God has not left us defenseless. We are not out on the end of a branch all on our own trying to figure out the world. God has promised to be our spiritual GPS in life. And we can look to him and we can get answers and make decisions that we'll just thank God for months and years down the road. We'll forever be thanking God. He has promised to be our our GPS in life. But you see, first... We must realize that we need him. Last week, I didn't think I needed a GPS. I did. Apparently, I did. And in life, sometimes we don't think we need God's direction on something. Well, it's a simple enough decision. You know, the Bible tells us to pray about everything. Did you know that? Because God is smart. And so he gives us his good advice. And we need to realize that we need Him. And we need to see that God is actually smarter than all of us. His ways are better than our ways because His thoughts are far above our thoughts. He thinks better thoughts than we do. But God promises us that if we will follow His ways... Even though we may not fully understand them at the time, if we will follow his ways, he promises us that we will live a successful life here on earth. We'll find personal happiness. There may be some trials and troubles, but overall, we will be happy folks. And God will bring to himself much glory through our good lives. And this is what we're going to learn about today. And so let's first pray and ask God to help us understand. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, This is an important subject. It's important with you. You wrote about it in the scriptures here. And it's important in our lives that we learn it. Help us today. Father, I pray for anyone who may be going through a a difficult time right now. They definitely need your wisdom, your direction. I pray that this message today would speak to their hearts. I pray for everyone watching online right now. That you would use the scriptures and this, this sermon to uplift them, to challenge them, to encourage them, to look to your thoughts and your ways. And so lead on, O King Eternal. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, your Bible open at Isaiah 55, yes? Yes. I'd like you to look please at verse number 6 and 7 because I want you to see the context. Who is God speaking to? Verse 6, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. And so here we see the context Who is God speaking to? He's speaking to lost, unsaved people. I think right there in Israel. And what God is saying is that salvation is a free gift. He's telling them, come unto me, he says. Come unto me, he's calling them. He says, let the the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Notice that, his way and his thoughts. And then later in verse Uh, 8 God says my thoughts and my ways so here's the unrighteous man his thoughts and his ways and then God says in verse 7 come unto me return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon God wants to forgive sin salvation is referred to in this verse and salvation is a free gift and this is not in the thinking of unsaved people Unsaved lost people do not see salvation as a gift that needs to be received. They typically look upon it as something that needs to be earned, or worked for, or purchased in some way. Oh, I know there's a heaven above, and I know there's a hell below, and I want to get to heaven, I don't want to go to hell, and so what must I do to be saved? Well, I guess I'd better keep the Ten Commandments. I guess I'd better keep the golden rule. I guess I'd better uh, go to church. I guess I'd better do all of these other myriad of things and hope, I hope, I hope it's enough. And one day when, when God meets me at the pearly gates, you know, he'll look at all of the good things I've done. He'll look at all of the bad things I've done. And there's much more good than bad. Therefore, he'll welcome me into heaven. And that's a typical mindset of unsaved people. They may word it a little differently, but the bottom line is the same. If my good works are more than my bad works, then God will accept me. And that's a typical mindset. I kind of think that the devil has put that into the hearts and minds of people around the world. Because religion tends to be very works-oriented in order to gain eternal life or heaven Or what have you. Many religions in the world teach this very same false notion. That people have to pay to get to heaven. They have to work to get to heaven. They have to earn or deserve it to get to heaven. And what God is saying is that you don't pay for it. I've paid for it. You don't deserve it. You never will. I have provided it. Salvation and heaven is a free gift. You can receive it. You can reject it. But it's a free gift. The rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19 came to Jesus with this very same mindset. And he said, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus spoke to him and this young fellow thought that because he was keeping the Ten Commandments, that that was enough. And the Lord Jesus set him straight. Salvation and heaven are a free gift that God wants to give Whoever will receive it. You imagine that. There are some people that right away, they understand, they reach out, I'll take it, Lord, and they receive eternal life. God put eternal life into a person. That person is Jesus Christ. Whosoever has the Son has life eternal. Whosoever does not have the Son does not have life at all. But the wrath of God is abiding upon them. So heaven is a free gift that can be received or rejected. Imagine how many people there are in the world today standing there with their hands in their pockets or their hands behind their back when God is reaching out to them and saying, will you receive my gift? I've put free into Jesus Christ. I've put forgiveness of sins. I've put heaven. I've put joy. I've put power. I've put it all into Jesus. Will you receive Jesus? Yes or no? And so many people standing there saying, well, there's got to be more to it. It can't be that simple. I have to have my part. I've got to beat myself with a whip. I've got to crawl over glass. I've got to pay money. I've got to get candles lit and prayers said on my behalf. And God is saying, no, 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 no. Let the wicked man forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. These works, salvation ideas, these are ideas from unsaved people. Not from the Bible. God says right here, come unto me. And I'll have mercy upon you. And I will abundantly pardon you. That's a free gift. A free gift. And that's how God works. Because the truth is we cannot earn it. We don't deserve it. We cannot pay for it. We have destroyed ourselves already with sin. We've disqualified ourselves because of our sin, our bad thoughts, our bad words, our disobedience, our broken promises, our angers, our... Our lusts, our greeds, all of that stuff and more has disqualified us from heaven because God's standard for heaven is 100% perfection. And that lets us all out. We're all doomed. We're all lost. Only, 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 only Jesus Christ is 100% perfect. And that's why we need Jesus. Because without him, we cannot get into heaven. It's not what you know. It's who you know. And you need to know Christ as Savior. So this is why, take a look at it in chapter 55, verse 8. And I want you to read verse verse 8 out loud with me, please. Read it out loud. Verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. Do we understand this, that God has better thoughts than we have? And God has better ways of living than we have. You see, as you think, so you will do. That's why we live life the way we live it, is because it's based upon our thinking. What we think is going to make us happy. What we think is going to protect us. What we think will bless us down the road, and therefore we live according to our thinking. The Bible says, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Thinking and doing go together. You can't separate them. And God is saying... Ha, you have your way of thinking and your way of doing. I have my way of thinking and my way of doing. And I'm telling you right now, mine is way higher than yours. And I hope you believe that by faith. I hope you understand that, that God is far smarter than we are. He is far greater. He is far more perfect than us. For a man or woman to say, well, I, I think I'm smarter than God. I mean, that's what the devil said. The devil said, I will be like the most high. I'm smarter than that guy on the throne. That's what the devil said. And that's what brought him down to be the devil. And for a man or woman on earth to say, well, I think I'm smarter than God. God says this, but I think I'm going to do this because I think it's going to be better. What a mistake. What a disaster that will turn out to be. God says to us plainly that his thoughts and his ways are Far above. They're not the same as, as those of unsaved people. But of course, today's eye-opener for those of us here today that are saved. I mean, the context was to the wicked and to the unrighteous, the unsaved. I know that's the context. But the eye-opener, folks, is that God is still a lot smarter than saved people. God is still a lot wiser than all of his children. He is so smart. Living in this old world, I'm afraid, has affected our hearts and minds. And we must constantly seek to remind ourselves that His ways are best. Otherwise, we can and will fail miserably in life. Many of us make the classic mistake of thinking, well, now that I'm saved because I did repent of my sins, I did receive Jesus as my Savior, there's evidence, there's fruit of new life in in me. I know I'm a Christian. I know I'm part of God's family. But now, hey, hey, my life is going to be blessed. You know, I'm able to go ahead now and and do what I want. God's going to pave a golden pathway before me. Yes, he will, and and I can can do no wrong, and God will bless whatever I put my hand to, and that is a recipe for disaster. We must not follow that line of thinking, because even though we're born again, we're part of God's family, and hallelujah, praise God for it, because it means the difference of all eternity, even though we're part of God's family, we're still Stupid. We're still, in comparison to God, we're earthworms. We do not know the end from the beginning. We are not as smart as God is. And God is appealing to us. And he's saying, please, please, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are far above your ways. Follow my ways, is what God is saying. You know, one day, some of us are going to get to heaven with badly mangled, poorly managed lives. And we're going to stand bedraggled before the Savior. And he's going to look at us and say, what happened to you? And we're going to say, well, I thought. And therein lies the problem. We took over and we started doing all the thinking. We decided that we could be the GPS in life. And that's the problem. We're gonna stand before Jesus dumbfounded and we're gonna but but, but, but but I I I thought that 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 she thought that 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 you thought that that everything would be okay. And therein is the problem. We rely on our own thinking instead of doing it God's way. Look at it again. Verse 8 for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways saith the Lord. Great thinking equals great doing. It's always been that way. Always. You have small thinking equals small doing. I'll give you an example. The chess players. Any of you here play chess? Any of you brave enough to raise your hand? You play chess? I think it's maybe a dozen hands went up. Okay. Does everyone know what chess is? Yes? Yes? Of course we do. But not many of us play it, right? Because it's a very educated kind of game. Well, it's not that educated, I suppose. Anyone can learn the game. But there's a difference between learning how to play chess and winning at chess, right? Because the people who win at chess seem to be the smart ones who can think ahead a couple of moves. And the, the further ahead you can think, the more games you're going to win, because you're going to look ahead two moves and say, oh, "If I do that, you know, he's going to take my queen." Hoo hoo hoo! I better not do that. But maybe your opponent is thinking four moves ahead, and thinking, "Well, if I do this, they're going to think I'm going to take their queen." But instead, I'll do this over here, and by that, I'll be able to capture two knights and two rooks. And you see, the person who has greater thinking has greater doing in in battles in wartime. It's the the generals that can outthink the other general who has greater thinking power that usually win the battles. Sometimes there's luck. I realize that. But God doesn't depend on luck. He doesn't have to because he has all of the answers. God says that his thoughts and his ways are far superior to ours. It's like nothing we've ever seen in our vocabulary. Can you imagine with me, for example, God is going to talk to Moses. Moses, of course, is the great man of God that was known for leading the children of Israel out of Egypt and giving of the Ten Commandments and so on. And so God's going to talk to Moses. All those children of Israel kind of still in Egypt. And so God uh, sits down with Moses. Just imagine this, okay? And God says, Moses, how are we going to get two million Jewish people out of Egypt? Now, can you imagine Moses saying, Lord, that's a good idea. I've been thinking about that one myself. And we got the Red Sea in front of us, you know. And so I think that if we were to take some time and build some ships and build some boats, that we could ferry God's people over the Red Sea. How does that grab you, God? And I've been thinking some more about it. It might take us six months to build all of those ships and boats, and it might take us another two months, day and night, ferrying all these people over the Red Sea. Well, that's, that's my thoughts. What do you think, Lord? And then God says, I got a better idea. You see that rod in your hand? I want you to hold it out over the direction of the Red Sea. And what did God do? Anyone know? Come on, tell me. He parted the Red Sea. Whoosh. Now, wasn't that a better idea? Who would have thought of that one? Huh? Unbelievable. You see, the reason is God's thoughts are not our thoughts. And God's ways are not our ways. And God is smarter than we are. Now, the successor of Moses was Joshua. Joshua went over the Jordan and into the promised land with all of the millions of of Jews. And the first thing they were going to do was conquer the city of Jericho. Jericho was the most fortified city of the day. It had walls something like 13 or 14 feet thick. It was towered right up. It was huge. And so imagine this. Imagine that God sits down with Joshua and says, Joshua, how are we going to capture this city? Can you imagine now Joshua saying back to God, Well, Lord, I'm glad you asked me that. I've been thinking. You see, the city of Jericho is so big. They have lots of land in there where they grow crops. And this is archaeological truth. This is true. They could grow lots of crops in there. And they had underground springs from which to get fresh water. And so God... I think they could last many, many years. And so I think what we should do is we should camp outside the city for 50 years until finally they give up and they open the doors and that's how we'll get in. What do you think? And God says, well, Joshua, I got a better idea. Have your people walk around the city once a day for seven days. And the rest is history. You know the story. Why is this? It's because my ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways, my ways, saith the Lord. That's why. Can you imagine the Old Testament prophet named Elisha? And can you imagine God sitting down with Elisha one day and saying, Now, Elisha, there's a foreign military man Coming to you from Syria. His name is Naaman. He's going to come and visit you. And he has leprosy. And leprosy was the most feared disease of the day. It was like a death sentence. This man has leprosy. And how do you think he should be healed? He's going to come to you for healing. How do you think he should be healed? What do you think, Elisha? Elisha says, well... Lord, I've been thinking. I've been watching a lot of TV preachers these days and these faith healers and they seem to have it down pat. They'll wave their arms, they'll shout, they'll whap people in the forehead and they seem to get healed. What do you think, Lord? And God says, well, I got a better idea. Tell him to go and dip himself seven times in the Jordan River. The rest is history, folks. It's because God's thoughts and God's ways are far superior to anything we have. Now, I'll tell you, Jesus in John chapter 6 had a little problem. There were 5,000 men, plus women, plus children, that were hungry. And he figured they need to be fed. And so, in John chapter 6, Jesus actually said to Philip... And asked him this question, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. And here's what Philip actually answered to Jesus. He said, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them. A penny was a man's wages for a day. So 200 days of a man's wages is not enough to feed all of this crowd. And so it's as if Jesus said to Philip, Well, I have a better idea, Philip. There's a little boy here with a lunch that his mama made him. So please ask the men to sit down. And the rest is history. Because God's thoughts and God's ways are not like ours. We're looking around for 200 pennyworth. God says, Well, I can use that little boy's lunch. And that's where the miracles come from. Christian brothers and sisters, God is so far, far above anything we've got. He knows exactly what will work and what will not work. And listen, take this home with you. That what God wants, what He wants, is always so much better, so much more wonderful, so much more important, so much more lasting than anything. That we could possibly want. He is that much smarter and better than we are. You know, today you hear a lot of people talking about aliens, right? Aliens have this superior technology. They all tell you that. They never point to dumb aliens. You know, cross-eyed, dumb bunny kind of aliens. Like, you know, a little blobby. They don't point to those. They always say these smart, intelligent, you know, they can fly, they can can do anything. They've got weapons like nothing we've known on earth. They've got force fields. We can't shoot and get at them. Oh, aliens, superior technology. And the question is always, where's the proof? Where is the proof? Where are these aliens? Bring them here. Let's see their superior technology so we can believe what you're saying. But they can't. They can't. Because it doesn't exist. It's not there. I want you to know this. This idea of aliens and their superior technology is all the in, from the inventive minds of science fiction writers. That's where it comes from. And it finds a home in conspiracy theorists. Those are the ones who believe in in aliens and their superior technology. There is no proof whatsoever. Is there proof of God's superior knowledge? There is tons of historical proof. I just named you a few of them. Proof after proof after proof that when God has his way, miraculous things happen. It's always been. That's the way that God does things. But many people today have very little interest in spiritual things because they think they're smarter than all of that. This past week I was in a store and a man was looking at me and he asked me about my little pin here on my lapel. Because I wear this thing. I wear it to church and I wear it when I go out. Why do you wear it? So that people will ask me what it's about. And this man asked me, what's that pin about? And I smiled and I said, well, this pin was given to me by my church to help people with spiritual things, particularly to help them get connected with God. And he kind of went, oh. He thought maybe it was something else. And so I asked him, do you have any interest in spiritual things? He said to me, no, not much. I said, do you ever wish you knew more about God and about heaven? And he said that he thought he knew enough At the moment. And then he said that there are so many conflicting religious philosophical beliefs in the world. And so I answered him, you're absolutely right. That's why we need a platform that we can work from. We need a basis of truth that we can stand upon. And we've chosen the Bible to be our platform of truth. So then he said to me, There are accounts of people that have had near-death experiences and have come back and have said religion is bankrupt. Religion is no good whatsoever. And I was then in the process of answering him, telling him that's their opinion only because there are many other people that have had near-death experiences and have come back and told us religion is everything. But before I could quite finish that... He received his goods and he took off out of the store. He didn't want to stay and talk. And so that's the way it goes sometimes. Folks, we have nothing to back down on. We have nothing to be ashamed of. We represent a great almighty God whose ways and thoughts are far above and who's done mighty wonderful things. And one of the best proofs is what he's done in our lives. A lot of people are atheists. I made mention of this, I think it was last week, that record numbers of people are are becoming atheists, Atheist. Well, since when has atheism ever brought back broken families? When has atheism ever brought a family together and made them love each other? When has atheism ever... Cleaned up a man's life of alcohol and of drugs and prostitution. When has atheism ever put a man or woman back on their feet from a life of ruin? When has atheism ever given a hope beyond the grave? It can't. It's impossible. But when has Bible-based Christianity brought families together and cleaned up people's lives? Hmm? And given them a hope beyond the grave. Well, millions of times. The proof is there, folks. It is there. Now, the man I was talking to, he seemed like a very intelligent man. But it seemed to me that he thought he was smarter than what God wrote in the Bible. Oh, the Bible? Oh, nobody reads the Bible anymore. Have you ever heard anyone say anything like that? Nobody reads the Bible anymore. Have you ever heard that before? Everyone here probably reads the Bible. I mean, you do because we had the Bible reading just now, didn't we? Many of us here read the Bible every day. Many of us pore over the pages of Scripture, not just once, but for years of our lives. A lot of people read the Bible. Now again, I acknowledge this man that I met in the store. He was not a child of God. Therefore, the context of Isaiah 55, let the wicked forsake his way. He didn't understand the ways of God because he wasn't born again. He wasn't a a Christian man. But I can also confirm this to you today and listen very carefully. There are many Christians, born again Christians, who aren't much better off. When it comes to God's ways. And I want to settle this today. I'd like you to turn to the New Testament book of Ephesians. Chapter number 3. Ephesians chapter number 3. I'm going to get you to read one verse out loud with me. Ephesians chapter 3. Are you all there? Ephesians chapter 3, and it's verse number 20. If you're still looking for Ephesians, maybe you just look off someone beside you who found it. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Read out loud now, please. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. The power that worketh in us is the Holy Spirit. And God is not able. I want you to look at this verse again. He's not able to do all we ask or think. Did you see that? It doesn't say now unto him that is able to do all that we ask or think. It's doesn't even say, now unto him that is able to do above all that we ask or think. It doesn't say that. It doesn't even say, now unto him that is able to do abundantly above all. But it says, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all, we could ask or think. Some of you here have pretty fertile imaginations. And some of you can think some really big thoughts. And I want you to know, God's got you beat. You don't hold a candle to what God is able to do. Your wildest thoughts don't even become part of the race. God is so far above us. We have to understand that. Now, for us Christians, here's the key. Here it is. We must learn to submit ourselves to the thoughts of God and to the ways of God. Our Lord Jesus demonstrated this for us when in the garden, before his arrest and crucifixion, he prayed. And he said these words, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. That's how we need to be praying, folks. We need to submit to the ways of God. And so, when faced with big decisions and tough decisions, where do we go from here? We need to look to the Lord for His thoughts and His ways. And when faced with times of trouble, and we're under great stress, we must pray, Lord, thy will be done. Now let me just say a couple of words to the parents here today. When it comes to investing a year of Bible college into your son or into your daughter, is this something the Lord would have you to do? Or is this just nonsense? Is Bible College only meant for young men who feel called to full-time ministry? Would a year be a waste of time and money to put your son or your daughter in the Bible College? Would it be a waste? Or could it be part of Proverbs 22:6? Proverbs 22:6 Some of you have that memorized. Train up a child In the way he should go. And when he is old. He will not depart from it. I suggest to you. Bible college is not just. For the men who will give their lives as missionaries around the world. Bible college is for all of us. What's one year in Bible college compared to 80 years of their life? I can promise you this. The devil is actively trying to get a hold of your sons and your daughters. He is trying to grab them by the throat. And one of his best ways, I'm talking about Christian young people. One of his best ways is to make sure that they get a minimum amount of biblical grounding and then send them off to big colleges and big universities of the world. I'll tell you what will happen. Back in 2018, there was an article written on a website entitled Desiring God. The name of the article was, Will You Lose Your Faith in College? And here is how the article begins. Will you keep your faith in college? Odds are you won't, at least according to Barna research. Barna estimates that roughly 70% of high school students who enter college as professing Christians will leave with little to no faith. These students usually don't return to their faith even after graduation, as Barna projects that 80% of those reared in the church will be disengaged by the time they are 29 years old. Now, the person who wrote this article had experienced this exact thing themselves. They wrote these words. Many of us started strong. We assumed that if we were raised with the right values and involved in church, we would always stay faithful. I believed that. I had a passion for the Lord in high school and college, but as I immersed myself in my career, my church attendance became sporadic and my time with God infrequent and rushed. I found that the less time I spent with the Lord, the less I wanted to know Him. My unbelieving co-workers were my closest friends. Originally, I hoped to share my faith with them, but instead they passed on their spiritual indifference to me. They had a subtle but profound influence on my priorities. As my faith was getting watered down, reading the Bible and going to church felt more legalistic than life-giving. It was only when I faced real suffering that my faith became important again. That's sad but true. I read the article, I read the author's name, and when they wrote that article, they experienced that themselves. And really, it's the old story of putting on a pair of white gloves. The story of a man that had a, a pile of dirt in his backyard, and it bothered him. He had this big pile of dirt, so he decided he was going to do something about it. And he put on a pair of beautiful white gloves, and he went out and he played in the dirt, hoping that the dirt would become glovey. But what ended up happening was the gloves became dirty. That's what happens. Mom, dad, one day you're going to come to a fork in the road if you haven't already. And the decision you make will affect the life of your son or daughter for the rest of their lives. Your children need to learn the thoughts and the ways of God. And you need to make the right decision. Do you go left? Do you go right? Where do we go from here? What is the world telling you to do? What is God telling you to do? Because I'm here to tell you, you need to learn the ways and the thoughts of God and His mighty power. And so when disaster strikes your life, and when things seem impossible and there doesn't seem to be any way out, And you feel something like the Israelites way back in Moses' day. You've got the impossible Red Sea in front of you. You've got the angry armies of Egypt coming up behind you. It's then that almighty Jehovah God wants to show himself strong on your behalf. And if you will follow his ways, he will make a way through the Red Sea for you. And he will help get you through the Israelites of Moses' day. They needed to learn the power of Jehovah. Now the Hebrews back then, they wouldn't pronounce the name Jehovah. They would pronounce it as Yahweh. Yahweh. And Yahweh is the great, omnipotent prayer answering God the God whose thoughts are far above our thoughts and whose ways are far above our ways. And so trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct thy paths. And so God's people, the Hebrews, they stood trembling at the Red Sea with the fierce armies of Egypt, threatening to destroy them. And there was Moses trying to quell their fears and tell them, fear not because Yahweh will deliver us. All the while they could hear the rumbling chariots of the armies of Egypt coming up behind them. And with each turn of a chariot wheel, it's almost as if they heard the world saying, no way, no way. And never forget, when the world says, no way, that's when God's people say, Yahweh. One of our deacons, Brother Ferdy Almonia, I have his permission to share this with you. He works for a unionized company here in town. He's part of their union. They started him out on day shift, which was actually what he needed. It was perfect for what he needed. But one day this year, they called him into the office and they said that uh, they were going to put him on night shift. Night shift? Well, night shift would greatly affect Brother Ferdy's family life. It would greatly affect his ministries here at church. But you see, there were other men in the union who had more seniority than did Ferdy. And there was nothing anyone could do about it. But there was something that Brother Ferdy did about it. On Wednesday night, he asked God's people to pray for him. When the world, or the union, says, no way. That's when God's people Say, Yahweh. So what happened to Brother Ferdy? They put him back on day shift. No way! Yahweh. Well, as it happens, yesterday I was talking to Brother Ferdy, and he said that some union members got complaining And so, where do we go from here? We go back to Yahweh. And we start praying again. I want you to be praying for Brother Ferdy. That God will show His mighty power. And keep him on day shift. No way should that happen. Well, yes way. It can, if we'll pray. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So, where do we go from here? How do we learn God's thoughts? In order to know God's thoughts, we must make the Bible our daily textbook for life. And then we must do what Joshua said, choose you this day whom you will serve. And you need to be sold out to the Lord. And if you will do that, you may call upon him and he will show himself strong and mighty in your behalf. Bow your head for prayer with me. Thank you for watching the message today.